Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. It's great to worship Jesus together. We're going to be looking in the Bible, following our uh, theories on being brand new. Just to mention also, there's a few books on the table at the back there you might like to take advantage of and uh, uh, find your way. There's one called No Well-Worn Paths, which tells the story of new frontiers. And sometimes these days I'm asked again, how did this thing start? Well, there's the story of how it started. A lot of it had its origins right here in Sussex. So I just commend that to you. Uh, on Amazon, it's, I'm amazed to see it's uh, at 15 pounds on Amazon. Here it's £4.99. So take advantage of that uh, as we go. A few other titles there as well. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture from the NIV. And uh, one is... Already, we've already heard this morning from 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. I want to read it again because it's such an important verse where Paul says this, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And then one more verse in Romans and chapter 12. Paul has been setting out this quite long epistle, probably his most important epistle. And then very late on, really, chapter 12, opening verse, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you so much for these extraordinary words. Thank you for the great words we've been singing. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, Father. We thank you now for your living word with all its power we pray for the Holy Spirit to anoint our heads to hear, that we might hear you, Lord, in our heart. We might sense God is speaking to me, and that, Father, we might hugely benefit from hearing your word. We ask it, please, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, who do you think you are? Once you've been, been asked that, maybe you've been in a supermarket line and you just thought, hey, I'm in the wrong line here, I'm going to change and maybe didn't realize what you're doing, just push in and someone says, who do you think you are? And it's not so much who are you, it's who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are is a pretty big deal. And we're thinking about that today. Who do we, who do we think we are? It's a massive deal, massive. In this country we have a still kind of class system. I remember when on the television some years ago, had this uh, 
hilarious set with John Cleese was standing there tall and strong like a, an aristocrat. Then you had Ronnie Barker as the kind of in the middle and then you had Ronnie Corbett. And there's kind of three categories of Englishmen and one saying, I look down on him. And the other saying, I look up to him, but I look down on him, but I look up to him and it was hilarious. These three kind of categories. Of course, in India, you get what's called a caste system where if you're Brahmin, if you're the top of the pile, you, you know, you've got tremendous kind of presence, kind of authority, or the very lowest, the untouchables, your expectation of life is hugely limited. And really, well, who do you think you are? You know, there's a television program now called that, Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, the program is kind of researching uh, your background, and people look at their family tree, and they're hoping that they might find, wow, look, well, I come from that line. Oh, fascinating. Hey, that's good for me. Or maybe they think, oh, gosh, he was in prison. My, oh, grief. And maybe shame. You know, who do you think you are? It's a, it may have some exciting things. It may have some pretty disappointing things. And it could affect our view of ourselves. Now, the gospel is meant to affect our view of ourselves, not just psychologically, but far more dramatically, far more phenomenally. It talks about our being brand new. We're, we're born again. We're new creation. It's like God started all over again, done a new thing in us. And in Romans 12, the verse I read to you, it says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we can actually be transformed. Uh, and the word there, uh, as we... Uh, see it there, in the, it says it's a metamorphosis. Now, the one we're probably most familiar with in nature is the one of the caterpillar. We're going to see some shots of a caterpillar right now that have one life, pretty boring one, I think, just on the branch, on the leaf, chunch, you know, munching away. And then there comes a moment when they go into a kind of a death, they go into a kind of a tomb, and then what happens? They are born again and they have a second birth. They become phenomenal. They are, are the same creature. It's not a different, it's the same creature, but it goes through a kind of a death. We say, where is it? Well, it's in there, and then woof, it comes alive. And, and I've been, I was looking on Wikipedia this week. It's amazing what butterflies can do. They, they fly thousands of miles. You think the contrast between the caterpillar, all its limitations, and pretty boring, to this amazing thing, this butterfly flutters around, beautiful colors, extraordinary capacities. It's born again. It's born a second time. And that's the language that the Bible uses for what it is to be a Christian. There was a day when a, a guy called Nicodemus came to see Jesus. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He discerned. He said, boy, you are a teacher sent from God, Jesus. I'm, I'm impressed with your teachings. And he's hoping to glean a bit more information. Maybe he's hoping to get in. What are you actually saying? And Jesus kind of cuts right across him and says this to him. You must be born again or you'll never even see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. He said, well, how do I get born again? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? He asked that question. How do you get born again? And Jesus said, no, no, no. He says, what is born of the flesh is flesh. You can only give birth to flesh. But what is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a, it's a new birth. It's a different birth. But it, it's like this extraordinary transformation that takes place in people. 
It takes place in the, the caterpillar and the butterfly. The, wow, it's the same creature, but it's in a new life. And do you know Jesus is offering that? But when this man comes and asks him a kind of a religious question, Jesus is offering. He goes on to offer him. He says, like, you can have new life. And actually, that's what the New Testament is all about. It's about a transformed life, a phenomenally transformed life. One of the most famous uh, conversions that we read about in the New Testament would be the one of the Apostle Paul. When we first meet Paul, he's a Jewish guy, he's a Pharisee, he hates Christianity. He's present when Stephen is stoned to death, the first Christian martyr. He's kind of responsible, he's the leading guy. And then it says he goes from house to house, dragging people out, wants to put them in prison and kill them. I mean, you could not be more hostile than Paul was. And then he's actually going on his way to Damascus. He's going to get more of these Christian people and deal with them. And on the journey, it says, the amazing thing happened, that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to him. And this Jesus, who he thought was a blasphemer, he's dead, what are these people saying? He's alive, he's dead, he's finished. Suddenly he meets Jesus. And he says later in, in a letter, he says, what happened to him? He said, the God of, the God of glory. He said, he, he appeared, the God of creation. He said, his light was in my heart, bringing about a new birth in my heart. The God of glory appeared to me in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this God of creation came and created Paul again. He's completely transformed. In fact, Paul went blind for three days. He's so blind, blown away by it. And then later he gets his eyes open and it's like a new guy. It's like the butterfly. Hey, here's a different, you read about him. He just lives his life for Jesus. Completely transformed. He gets beaten up. He doesn't care about that. He just wants to live for Jesus. He is a new creature. He's a new creation. God has done this amazing miracle in him, a new birth. We sang about it a few weeks ago at Christmas, that great famous carol, Hot the Herald Angels Sings, got that line, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's been known about for centuries. Hey, it's a second birth. It's a new beginning. It's something God does for us that he changes everything for us. Now, when I became a Christian, I was in my teen years, and my sister had been saved. She went to London, came home, said, can I talk to you? Yeah, yeah, what's the score? I've become a Christian. And my answer was, aren't we all Christians? Now, you wouldn't say that anymore, but those years ago, you, know, you thought, I'm born in England. We're Christians, aren't we? And she said, no, 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 I've, I've been born again. She actually used that phrase. So we, we can think, well, a Christian, what's a Christian? Well, it's a Christian nation. No, not really, not, not in biblical terms. Or sometimes people say, well, I'm a churchgoer. Well, what's that mean, a churchgoer? Well, I'm a churchgoer. Well, that's not in the Bible. They didn't have any church buildings to go to. That's not a meaningful way of describing it. And some people say, well, I, I, really, I really admire Jesus. I, I, try to, I try to copy him. I try to imitate Jesus. No, it's not, that's not in the Bible either. Well, you can imitate him if you like, but it's not what we're calling here a new creation. You can try and copy someone. You can be impressed by Gandhi, but to be created again is a completely different deal. A new creation. You might even say, I asked Jesus into my heart. 
Yeah, but this isn't what I'm actually talking about. You might even say, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I've been forgiven. A lot, of, a lot of actual Christians would say that. Well, I know I'm a sinner, but I have been forgiven. But actually, the Bible says so much more than that. The Bible says, no, we were joined to Jesus, and when he got raised from the dead, he included us in. He did a phenomenal thing and made us into completely new things. In fact, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Just referred to, it said they were first called Christians. One or two references to Christians. But what is used 165 times is this phrase, in Christ, being in Christ. It's a, it's a supernatural dimension. It says you, you were just a, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and then you got into Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal experience to be now be in Christ. We're joined to him. We could, we could say about Jesus that he himself had two births. He was born from Mary's womb, and then 30-so years later, he was born again out of a tomb. He wasn't resuscitated. He didn't say, oh, wake up, wake up. He was dead. He was dead, finished. And then God raised him from the dead. He had, he had a second birth, and we got included. The Bible uses the word with. In the Greek language, they had this letter, this phrase, sin, at the beginning of a word, sin. It's like included. It's like we would say co. We would say co, right? I was co-crucified with him, the Bible says. I was co-buried with him. I was co-raised with him. When it happened to him, we were somehow included and brought into newness of life because of our relationship with Jesus. It happened to him, and somehow we were, when you become a believer, you're included in what happened to Jesus. It's a completely new phenomenal thing. And Paul says, well, we, we used to know Jesus after the flesh no longer. Now we know and understand. He's alive. The God who commanded light to shine in the darkness has shone in my heart, given me the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. This resurrection of Jesus somehow brought me to life. Peter says we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. His resurrection included me somehow. I got included in. And it says in Acts and chapter 13, they crucified him, but God raised him and saying, you're my son, today I've begotten you. Today I've begotten you. It's like, here you come. This is, you're going to come into all that I have for you. God raised him from the dead, and his resurrection includes us. We get into him. And so Paul has come to this important phrase in Romans 12. He's been talking about what God has done, and then he turns the searchlight on us. He says, well, in view of the mercies of God, because in Romans, and Romans is probably Paul's most important epistle, letter, ever so, it just sets out the Christian message. And it, it takes 11 chapters to say what God has done. It's interesting we understand Christianity is a responsive religion. It's not that we try and do things to get to God. No, God's done lots of things to get to us. Then he calls us to respond. So it takes 11 chapters to say what God has done. And only now is there like, therefore, this turning point. Lots of Paul's and other people's letters in the New Testament have that turning point. Therefore you. This is what God's done, therefore you. Right? So the searchlight's coming on us. Well, what are the mercies of God? 
Let me just quickly remind you of some of the, the, the kind of mountain peaks. We can't see the whole of 11 chapters, but some of the mountain peaks makes it clear that man was made in the image and likeness of God. There's something about the human race that is breathtaking. We're not like other creatures. We are made in his image and likeness. That doesn't mean that, that God has got hands and feet and the limitations of a physical body, but there's something in us that is utterly other than other, other creatures. We are made, the Bible makes it quite plain, in the image and likeness of God. We're meant to represent him on the earth. He created humankind in order to oversee the planet, to cultivate it, to be in charge, to be his representative. Man is supposed to be the representative of God, no less. It's an incredible creature. That's who we are, with huge dignity in the sight of God. We're not so much rubbish. We're, we've got amazing dignity. It's possible for you to begin to feel that oh, I'm just rubbish, I'm a waste of time, what am I on the planet? No, you're made in the image and likeness of God. We're here for him. And then he says this sad, sad thing, that every one of us turned to his own way. We turned away from God. We all fall short of the glory of God. Makes that plain in Romans, that we all sinned. Everyone turned to his own way. We exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And calling ourselves wise, we became fools. We made a mess. We got all kinds of modern philosophies and down through the centuries that are just foolishness. So that in the end, even Solomon said, everything's futile, we can't understand what life's about. We lost our way, we got our thinking distorted. That's what it says in Romans 1. We thought foolishly. We, we need our thinking restored. It's part of our whole new creation experience to get our thinking sorted out. So we miss the way. But now God's done this amazing thing, as it says in the, these mercies of God. It says that while we were without strength and we couldn't do anything about it, Christ died for the ungodly. In the Old Testament, they were taught these things. They were taught you have to bring a lamb to be a sacrifice. God came to his special people, the Jewish people at that time, manifested his presence. They built a temple where the glory of God was phenomenal, where you couldn't go in because God was present. And he said, no, no, you must bring a lamb. You must bring a spotless, perfect lamb. You put your hands on the lamb. It's like your guilt goes onto the lamb. The lamb dies and you're forgiven, okay? But it's all in preparation for the one that came on the scene. And John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the ultimate lamb. This is what all this preparation is building up to. This is the one. He's come. He's arrived. Jesus, the lamb, the Passover, he calls himself. Paul says he's our Passover. He's the one who was slaughtered that we might go free. And it says we're justified by faith. We are declared righteous by God. Not that we've done anything, but he did it. Jesus stood our place. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. He says, now we are ambassadors. We're saying, be reconciled to God. God, God's done what's necessary for him to accept you. Come on, respond to that. By the mercies of God, respond to that. Then he goes on and says, that's wonderful other things. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He calls us his sons. 
He's promised us eternal life. The certainty, not the wonder. No, no, we're certainty. We know we have, we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. We know we've passed from death to life. It's a done deal. It's a wonderful thing to know. It gives us freedom in our new world. And he says we're going to ultimately inherit the new heavens and the new earth. So you get, hear such funny things these days. Oh, when you die, you become an angel and flitter around. And so on. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we are going to have new bodies one day. Pretty exciting, eh? But God's going to make a new earth. He's not going to flit around the clouds. He's going to make a new earth, which will be utterly stunning. A new earth. Phenomenal earth. I knew a wonderful, godly old man. He, he was on the, in an operating theater, and he, he briefly passed away. And then they, it came back to life again. And he said, I saw amazing things, Terry. He said, I haven't told many people this. He said, but I just saw like, I saw like an earth. He said, he said, listen, Terry, he said, the grass was singing. The grass was singing. You think, the Bible says the trees will clap their hands and the mountains will. It's God's going to create a new creation that we don't know how fallen this creation is. You sometimes see a sunset. I saw a sunrise the other day. You think, wow, that, how, who can surpass that? God can. He's going to make a new earth and going to give us new bodies that will never die. This is all, all in Romans. New creation. We're waiting for it, it says. We're, we're kind of groaning sometimes until it comes. And then he said, like, in, ver- in view of all these things that I've spent 11 chapters telling you about, what's your response? And so he comes to a, he wants a radical response to God. A radical response present, he says, your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they presented lambs that died. So that, that's all finished now. You don't, I don't look for any more sacrifices. They're all finished because Jesus, the Lamb of God, has died in your place. But now you, you present your bodies. He gave his body for us. He gave his hands to those who smashed the nails in. I wonder what it's like for those Roman soldiers. Why isn't he fighting back? I wonder how many times people had to hold arms down with the thousands they crucified, and he just lay there. He gave his cheeks, it says, to those who pulled out the beard. He gave his back to those who... He gave his body. He said, now come on, you, in response, what is your response? It says spiritual worship in our Bibles, but the, the actual word that's translated spiritual is a Greek word logikos, from which we get our word logical. It's like your logical response. It's your reasonable. It makes sense. It's rational. That's what it really means. It's not like killing a lamb anymore. That's kind of, what was that all about? That's kind of irrational. No, this is rational. Jesus took on human form and gave his body. Now I'm inviting us to give our bodies back. We say, well, I gave my heart. Well, yeah, we know what that means, but do we perhaps? Sometimes I gave my heart to Jesus. The Bible is so much more kind of body-bound. So it talks about God hates eyes that look with envy. God hates a tongue that speaks evil. God hates feet that run to wrong things. So the Bible kind of puts it right in our human frame. So I want your body. So I gave your heart. Well, hmm. 
You know, sometimes I go to people's homes and say, are you all right with dogs? And I say, yeah, I'm fine with dogs. And then the dog comes rushing in, you know, bites your hand, bites your ankles. And then they say, oh, he really loves you. You say, <laughs> you say would you please tell his teeth that he loves me? It'd be nice if his body loved me, not just, you know, he's really for you. He's really after me. We sometimes say, well, I give you my heart, but God says, well, I want what you live in. I want, I want some holiness in this body. I don't want you messing about with your body. I was in a conference once with PJ Smythe, a friend of ours from South Africa, quite a robust kind of preacher. He was at a youth conference. He said, young men, all stand. And all the young men stood. He said, yeah, take your hands, put them on your chest. So they all did it. He said, now say these words after me. I looked at him. He said, this is the only chest I will put my hands on until I'm married. <laughs> See, God's saying, give us your bodies. Come on, don't mess about. Don't mess about. Don't say, well, I'm a Christian, but I, I cheat a bit on my tax. How do you fill that form in? Well, what are you doing with that hand? James, it says, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. Some of us are very careless with our tongue. We exaggerate. Now, come on, let's try and be diligent. Give your body to him. I know a man who was a pastor, who was back my old pastor of years ago. He came from a very liberal college, and he wasn't doing terribly well. He, had a bit of, he told me I had a crisis. I met with Jesus. He said, I took out like a week, and I prayerfully gave my body to Jesus. Very purposefully. My hands, my feet, I just gave my body. He had a, from that time on, his ministry took off. Had a huge church of 800 in the days when no one had churches of 800. Tremendous pastor, and his life was so wonderful. He said, I just took it seriously. I gave my body. If you've done that, give ourselves. If he gave himself, let's give ourselves. That's the response we have to God's phenomenal mercies. We give ourselves to him. And then he says this, it's like kind of four things. First of all, give your body to God. He gave his body for us. Secondly, it's like a reactionary response to the world. Don't be conformed to this world. Right? So we're new creations, but we read in Romans 8, God's going to create everything new. A new world. It's going to be a new world one day, but we're ahead of the curve. We're already new creations, but the world isn't. The world's in darkness, the world's a mess. And, and Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, he said, this is the judgment. Light came into the world, but people prefer darkness to light because their deeds are evil. That can happen. That can happen to you. It can happen to me. We had this place filled. Like we had 1,300 plus here for carol service on Christmas. A lot of people say, oh, this is lovely, but if we press in, yeah, actually... <laughs> Uh, the lights come, but actually I prefer the darkness. This is why, because my deeds are evil. We live in a generation that's very evil. Our news is horrific. Teenagers being killed, drugs taking people out, suicide rates soaring. Think, what? We're living in a dark world, and we're a new creation in the midst of it. We're new people. New people. 
I went to visit one of the pastors, a super black guy, one of our pastors in London, in Brixton actually. And uh, he said, we, we've, some of our kids in our church, they know kids who've been knifed to death on the streets near here. He said, I try and help them. He said, he said but they get so bullied. He explained to me about being bullied on social media. I thought, how do you get bullied on social media? I don't understand. But he showed me, no, no, there's pressure, there's pressure to conform, there's pressure to be, and so to stand out and not be like it is huge. You know, teenage girls could be the only virgin in their class and be mocked. Well, you know, and the Bible's saying this, come on, don't be conformed, but the pressure to conform is very, very great. We can feel, oh, I don't know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the odd one out. But Paul is making this appeal to us. And it's not just kids, although I think children probably feel more pressure than anybody else. <laughs> Wendy and I always praying for our grandkids. It was bad in my day, it was worse in my kids' day, it's even worse now. Don't be conformed there. I asked Jesus into my heart, oh, but the pressure to conform is huge. But it goes on. We saw it on the screen just now with a professional footballer talking about then they got a Bentley. And he got a Jaguar, and I could, whoa, I've got, to get, I've got to get in on the act. The pressure to be like others, the pressure to, come on, don't be sick. What's with you? What's the deal? Come on, conform. And he says, no, don't conform. Don't let, J.B. Phillips did a Bible translation, and he called it, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Because it will try to. So in view of the mercies of God, Give yourself to God. That's this first thing. The second thing is don't let the world squeeze you. Don't let it take over. It's like kids whose parents say, look, we're boot pressed. I got these trainers for you at Primark. And the kids say to the parents, I'm not wearing those. If I haven't got Nike or Adidas, I'm not going to school. I'm not doing it. Why? What's the deal? What will the others say? What will the others say? So it's very hard to stand out. Little things, little things, like what trainers, or big things, like what car, or values, or conversation, or jokes we join into, and laugh along, or say, no, no, I want to not be conformed. That's Paul. So he's saying, don't be conformed to this world. But notice, he doesn't say, instead, conform yourself to religion. See, that's what people fear when they've not become Christian yet. They think, if I become a Christian, they'll tell me all the things I'm not allowed to do. And that's what they view. It's like, they'll tell me what I'm not to do if I go in on that stuff. And that, that is not what he says. He says, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed. So it's not be conformed to our religiousness. That's not what it says. That's not the deal. It's like, it's like, it's like a caterpillar saying, do I have to be conformed to being a butterfly? Do I have to fly all over the place? Do I have to? No, no, it's, you see, that's the point. You can be transformed. It's not trying to crush you. It's trying to free you. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. It'll set you free. So we get a wrong impression that to become a Christian means you're not allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do that. And this is one of the early battles when the gospel started, when the church first started, and people began to be converted. Thousands began to be converted. It came out of a Jewish world. 
3,000, 5,000. Then it began to go to other nations and other places. And wow, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, wonders. Wow, God has come. Then, and we can read all about it in the Bible, the Jewish Christians, the guys who come from a very Jewish background, said, hey, it's great that you Gentiles have received our Messiah. But listen, we know what he requires. We've known him for centuries. If you're going to really please him, you must keep the Sabbath. You mustn't eat that kind of food. That's never been accepted. Don't eat that. You need to be circumcised. In other words, they say, look, if you're going to become a, an authentic follower of God, you've got to pick up all these rules. And Paul said, no, no, no. He said, Jesus is the end of the law to everyone who believes. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't submit again to the yoke of bondage. Don't go back. That's all finished. That's all over. That's the old covenant. You're in the new covenant. It's a new arrangement. It's not one of these things of rules and regulations. It's not like that. The end of Colossians in chapter 2, he says, look, don't submit to all these things about don't taste, don't handle. Don't submit to that. He says, you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He said, all this stuff is in self-made religion. That's what he calls it. He says, of no worth at all. Looks good. See, asceticism looks good. You know, people say, well, I fast, I don't do this, I don't eat that kind of thing. It's all, it's impressive. Paul says it all looks very impressive. It's of no value. That's how he assesses it. End of Colossians 2. It's of no value. Don't submit to it. Don't let anyone disqualify you. It's the language he uses. Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't allow it. Don't let a rules and regulations religion mess you up. Because that's not the New Testament. The New Testament is metamorphosis. Butterfly. New life. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. New creation. We need to understand that. So he says, don't respond to that legalism. Paul fought that battle. You see it in Romans, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians. Again and again, he's fighting that battle so that we can be free. We can be free. And then the last thing, a revolutionary response to word and spirit. See, we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So it says at the beginning of Romans 1, but our minds got distorted. Thinking we were wise, we became fools. We exchanged the glory of God for stupidity. We got our minds messed up. And part of becoming a Christian is you get your mind sorted. You, get your mind, you start thinking the right things. You get to listen to what God says is true. It's not by, it's not by willpower. And it's not mind over matter, kind of concentrate. It's not that. It's lining up with what God says is true, is what's going to change us. God has done the work. We need to engage with the truth. The truth will free you. The truth will free you. You need to know what the truth is. Hosea, Old Testament prophet, says this, My people have died through lack of knowledge. They don't know enough. They haven't observed enough. We're sending a team out again to Edward Berea in Kenya, uh, I think this next week or so. And uh, you know that's a developing relationship we've had for years. I was with Edward in Korea once, 
and uh, in um, Kenya, and uh, we're just going along the road, and he said, this area here belongs to, and he named a certain Englishman who's lived there for some time, his family has. And we're driving, and to be honest, we drive for miles. He said, that's still his land. We drive further, and I said, that's still, I thought, oh, this is ridiculous, we've driven so far. He said, yeah, it, it belongs to him, it's his land. Miles and miles and miles owned by this Englishman in Kenya. And in the heart of there, he's got his own place, beautiful setting, and uh, he's got his own uh, area for uh, small planes to come and fly into. So he's got everything, and he's got black guys working for him who don't even know that Kenya is now independent. No one's told them. No one's told them. And Edward found out about this, got hold of a, a solicitor, and fought a battle, and got in and freed them all. He freed them all. When, so we actually drove in, and the people waving, hello, Edward, hello, Pastor, good to see you. Good to see you. And, they, and they lie, they're still living in that, but now they're employed properly. Now they've got their own homes, now they've got a little stream, now they've got gardens, the whole thing's changed. But it had changed years before, and they didn't know. They didn't know. It's the same about the American Declaration of Emancipation when, when the slaves in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed a document and three million slaves were free. From that day, they were free. Not, only, not everyone knew it. Not everyone knew it. He signed it. There's no more slavery. They've got, it's all over. Oh no, a lot of slaves. And also, even when they're set free, how, how do you get out of this kind of, oh, I'm just a slave. No, no, you're a, you're a citizen. You're a citizen. You have to change your thinking. You have to change your thinking. It's one of the big things. Change your thinking. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. Otherwise, we think we're held captive by things, and it's truth that frees us. For me, to take it right away from the world of slavery, I know as a young Christian, I, I was thinking, Lord, I, shouldn't I be more free than this? But I didn't know enough truth. I didn't know enough truth. I, I had this kind of stage. I, I gave my heart to Jesus kind of stuff, very backslidden. And then I came to the time about four or five years later, when as far as I knew how, I give you my life. As far as I knew how. Okay, you, you, you call the tune from now on. That was a big change for me. Very big change unrecognizable from who I was before. But I was still inwardly struggling with things. And I remember once I used to commute to London on the train, and uh, I, 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 I'm struggling with a bad attitude to someone else in the youth group. I was about 21 at the time, we had a youth group, 20s group, and uh, there was someone in there that I was very jealous of. And I couldn't get this person out of my mind. I thought, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And I remember one Sunday, my pastor's preaching, a very big church. And he said, as one of my young people said to me, and quoted them. I thought, oh. I just, I just felt this horrible thing in my soul. And I'm sitting on the train. And you know what English trains are like? They've changed a bit, but when I used to commute every day, every day, every day, you go in a compartment and no one talks to anybody. You know, there's like eight people in those old compartments, and you just walk in, put your case up on the top or whatever, open your paper, 
And these days it's phones, isn't it? But those days it was your paper. And you just, get, you know, you just start. No one talks for anyone. We're a peculiar race. And, and there you go. And I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible. And I, I honestly, I'm struggling with this. I've got this terrible attitude. I hate it. I'm supposed to be a Christian, Lord. Like, why should I have this terrible attitude? And I'm actually reading Romans 6. This is true happening. It's truly happened to me. I'm reading Romans 6, one of the mercies of God. Where it says that when he died, I died. And he that has died is freed from sin. I remember reading it. Right? I thought, he that has died is freed from sin. I thought, hey, a dead person doesn't get envious. A dead person isn't jealous. You know, you, could go in a, you can go and praise somebody sitting next to a corpse. The corpse wouldn't bat an eye. You're not bothered. A dead person is not troubled. And I suddenly saw it. Honestly, it's happened. I thought, I thought, hey, I'm free. And it was so real, I laughed out loud in the compartment. And I saw all the papers come down. Look at me. <laughs> What's he laughing at? Didn't know the Bible had too many jokes in it. You know, I'm just... <laughs> I just, honestly, I was freed, and I had, from that moment, this is honest truth, from that moment, I had no, no problem with that person. We became very good friends. It broke. He that is, he that is died is freed from sin, and you're in Christ. It's all argued through in Romans 6. It's all very clearly there, verse by verse. So the renewing of my mind changed my life experience. I was able to fly from that, fly from that horrible thing that messed me up. Maybe you've got horrible things messing you up. Maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe, maybe you're a bit of a gossip. Maybe you've got dirty habits. Well, I know I'm a Christian, but I can't seem to get free from it. No, no, it's the truth that sets us free. We were in Jesus when he died on the cross. We've been born again. We're new creation. We don't have to conform. We don't have to yield to it. We don't have to get under rules and regulations. We need this internal transformation. We're changed from the inside. From the inside. It's not like, you know, you just do things and anyone else is looking. Somebody looking but not do it. I'm a Christian. No, no. When we're alone and no one's looking. When no one else knows, you're just still making good choices because you've been born again. It's a phenomenal miracle. We're renewed, we're changed by the renewing of our minds. We line up with what God says is true. I'm free. So it says in Romans 6, you have died. That's the solid truth. Then the next couple of verses later, I think it's about verse 13, says, so reckon yourself dead indeed to sin. Right, reckon. Now let's think the right thought. Transformed in our mind by the spirit that works in our mind. That you have the mind of Christ. Think right. Reckon it so. So we've died to sin, so reckon it. I know once when I was, I was first time I ever went overseas, uh, we were flown to, to Spain. First time I ever went to another nation. Uh, and we're flying into Barcelona airport and the pilot says, welcome to Barcelona, where the time is three o'clock. And I think, well, it's, not, it's two o'clock. Perfectly good watch. So it's two o'clock. What's he talking about? 
You know, then as you go out, say, thank you very much. Uh, three, not two, really. No, the reality was this. In Spain, it was three o'clock. They're at different times, though. They're at different times, though. So in Spain, it is three o'clock. So change your watch. Line up with truth. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 6. You've died. He says, I reckon yourself. Line up with truth. I'm in Christ, so I've died to that. I'm not in English time anymore. I'm in Spanish time. I didn't have to do anything except line up with what is true. Let the truth set me free. That's what we have to do. Be transformed, metamorphosis, by the renewing of your mind. And beloved, it happens phase by phase. It says elsewhere that as we behold him, we are being changed. That same word again, only happens three times in the New Testament. Here it gets it. As we behold him, we are being changed. We're beholding him. He, it says, he is the image and likeness of God. No man has seen God at any time, but Jesus, who is the exact image of God, has revealed God to us. And as we behold him, as Jim was saying earlier, look on Jesus. That's why worship is so vital. It's so important that we sing about Jesus, not silly little songs. We sing about Jesus, get our focus on We are being changed as we worship. As we sing glorious truths about Jesus, we are being changed. And as you at home, not just in the meetings, but at home, as you focus on Jesus, look, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. That's what it says. It's a process. And John, in his epistles, he writes, and one of the things he says, I write to you fathers, he says, I write to you young men, I write to you children. It's just in First John. In other words, he's acknowledging that in a, in a church, some of us have been Christians for longer than others. And I don't think he necessarily means age. I think it means kind of maturity. You fathers, I've known some fathers in their 20s, real spiritual fathers. I've known some old people who are still children. But as we grow, as we learn, we, we begin to grow in God. We're transformed, we're changed. And it's not so much keeping the rules, beloved. It's not, oh, someone's watching, we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to. It's no, your motivations, your preferences, your actual personal preferences change. The things you delight in change. The things you want to do, you are being changed. It's a phenomenal thing. It starts from the beginning. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, you could do that this morning. You may not yet be a Christian. You think, what's this guy talking about? Well, I'm talking about not church going. I'm talking about a completely new creation. Like the footballer said, I live for this, I live for And I met Jesus. Everything changed. That's what happened to Paul. He met Jesus. Everything changed. That's what happened to me. I met Jesus. Everything changed. It happens that day. That day, you're already changed. But there is a process that keeps going on as you're, you keep, keep on. I went, to the, I went to a funeral of a dear friend of mine in Sheffield. who was a pastor of a church there. And people were just giving their statements. And a lady just got up. Because people just, well, anybody want to say anything? It's a beautiful time. A lady, middle-aged lady, came to the platform. She said, his name was Arnold. She said, Arnold taught me to think biblically. I thought, well done, Arnold. Not just learn, but no, not learn the Bible, know the parables and stuff. No, to think biblically. She's just a radiant lady. Just an ordinary church member. He taught me to think 
biblically. Being transformed. Changed. Changed values. Changed values. It keeps on happening. Keeps on happening. Keeps on happening. I have to speak to a group of leaders this coming week. I'm doing some stuff on the church and I'm reading in 2 Corinthians this morning I saw something I've never seen before. I've never seen before. I'm not young, you may have noticed. I've never seen. I thought, wow. That is amazing. You keep on. You keep on. As we behold him, we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's an ongoing process that never, never stops. So that we are, in the end, God's goal is to bring many sons to glory. He had a perfect son, Jesus. He created the human race in his image and like we messed up we didn't we didn't live out this likeness we we turned away we fell short of the glory of God and now God's made a way for us he has made a way for us God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself he sends us as ambassadors to say be reconciled to God he's done everything necessary we don't have to go and kill a lamb this all happened. So now be reconciled. Come to God. That's the, that's the appeal of the Bible. We make our appeal, Paul says. And that's what we do here week by week. We make our appeal. Come to him. Find him. And those of us who say, well, I've known him for years. Are we growing in grace? Are we continuing being transformed? That's, that's God's purpose. So that ultimately he will have many sons, many like him, transformed into his likeness. We get to be more and more like Jesus as we behold him, as we think the way he thinks, as we line up with truth and we say, no, I'm not getting into it. No, I'm going to learn from Jesus. And the last thing is this. He is the truth. It's not just a list of verses. He says, I am the truth. And Paul says this. I want to forget what's behind. I want to know him. That I might know him. That's his, that's his passion. I want to know Jesus. Who is the truth? I forget everything else. He gave his list of credentials. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin. That's all. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm all this. That's who I am. And he says, I count it rubbish. In fact, he uses worse, worse word than that. I count it trash. I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but that was from Christ, that transformation. And when you look at Paul's life, wow, does he look like Jesus? Does he look like Jesus? God wants to do that for us, so that we're ready for the new creation. We'd love to pray for you. If it is that you are a believer and you think, gosh, I'd love to, I need to get free from some things. We've got some lovely praying people who'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to get free from some stuff. And I want to welcome you. We're going to sing. Would the band come up, please? We're going to sing a song that says some of what I've been saying. And, and if you say, well, I'm not, I'm not a Christian yet, but may, I think I may follow this thing up, this Alpha. I'll come along to this Alpha. It's a very good setting. It doesn't make demands. Please, please. So yeah, I'll come. So I'll come and ask some questions. And while, and while you're waiting, when I finish preaching, I'm going to stand down there and I'll just give you a book, a book I wrote. 
talking about the new life. It's just called Life Tastes Better. If, you, if you're not yet a Christian, you think, well, I'll, I'll look into this. I'll give it, I'll give it some thought. This, this would be interesting for you to look at.